Hey, uh, how many of you, I'm curious, how many of you have a basement here? Okay, a few. How many of you have had water in your basement? All right, so, you know, I, I know there's not a lot of houses and, and properties here that have basements, but when we were looking for a house, I did not want a basement. Uh, I didn't want a basement because when I lived in Edmonton, our house was like a 1958 house. It was a nice little old our, it was our fixer-upper, right? It was our bungalow trying to flip it and try to see what we can do, you know, because on TV it's so easy. <laughs> Don't do it. Uh, <laughs> so we, we got the house, and, I mean, I didn't know any. It was first house. We didn't, I didn't know anything, how to do anything. So uh, one day it was raining like it was raining today, and I had water in our guest bedroom downstairs. I didn't know what to do, so I ripped up the carpet, I tore out the drywall, and, you know, I tried to dry it all off. The problem with water, if you've ever had water in your house, is it's like water goes everywhere, right? So it's really hard to figure out where the leak was. So I just left it open, and I was like watching. Next time it rained, I was going to look, and I was going to try to figure out where it is so I could fix it myself. Well, uh, it rained a lot, and it was open for six months and I, it, it stayed dry, right? I was like, what, what like God miraculously healed, uh, the, you know, our leaky basin. This is hallelujah. So I recarpeted it. I put the drywall back up and what happens two weeks later, obviously it, I had to rip it up again. Then I was like, okay, where is this? Coming? I don't I still don't know where it's coming from. So we got people and we injected concrete into, um, you know, on the outside of our house to, cause the slope, the gradient was against our house, right? You never want water pulling against your house. Uh, so we did that and it didn't happen. Eventually it rained a ton again and the leak happened again. And I ripped it up and literally, I think I ripped up and re- put the carpet back down over and over again and with the re- drywall like four or five times. And I got so frustrated that eventually I was just like, you know what, I'm going to rip it all up, you know, and then I'm going to have someone come, out, come in and fix it like it's supposed to be fixed. So we finally did that. I mean, I and, and, the, and the thing about it, the thing about the frustrating thing about that entire experience is what we did at the end, that best decision, the one where we actually properly fixed it and called people in and, you know, they had to inject stuff into the crack and do all this stuff. I mean, that was actually the most costly one, right? The best decision was the most costly one. Right? And it was costly because it required me to come clean and stop lying to myself that I could fix it. <laughs> right? And I was like, oh, I don't really want to call someone in because it's going to be like, you know, $1,000, $1,500. And I, mean, I could, it's just my time, right? I can just drive all it myself and I could buy some, you know, whatever you're supposed to buy to try to fix holes. And I mean, it just didn't work. Right? That decision to fix it properly was costly because it required me to rely on someone else. I thought I could fix it myself, but I couldn't. It was costly because actually in the end, it required me to suck it up, lay down my ego and my pride, and just get it done the right way. The interesting thing about all this is that once I made the right decision, I mean, I was like, I did not worry again about it raining. Like, I was like, rain, let it come, right? Because it was fixed, I didn't worry about it. It wasn't nagging me. That, that heartache, that pain, that trouble of doing the same thing over and over again, I didn't have to experience again because it was dealt with. I love how Mark Twain puts it. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. And how often do 
we cover things up, our hurts, our hangups, and our habits, and we cover it up, and we have to keep on covering it up with more lies and more lies and more lies. Today, we're going to be making a choice to not have to cover that up anymore, to uncover what those hurts, those hangups, and those habits are in our life. We're going we're gonna to make a choice today, the transformation choice. And in fact, if it's your first time here with us today, we're in the middle of a series on choices. Uh, we're committing to make eight choices that will lead us on a path to experience life as Jesus intended us to experience it. Right, A life free from the hurts that haunt our hearts, the hang-ups that cause us pain, and the habits that mess up our lives. The first choice was about admitting need, right? and we covered that. Uh, the second choice, we talked about getting help. The third choice was letting go. The fourth choice was about coming clean. And today, we're going to make the fifth choice, which is the transformation one, and it's all about making changes. Right? This is how it's put in the book, life's healing choices. I voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove any character defects. I mean, just look at that. Look at those last two words, character defects, right? Like that doesn't sound right, does it? I mean, I remember reading it and I'm like, oh, I don't like character defects, right? I was like, how can I not think about that word? And I was like, okay, but what, what is that shudder? Why do I shudder when I read that? And, and I actually looked it up in the dictionary and the dictionary's definition is even worse, right? A defect is a shortcoming. Oh, I don't like shortcomings, uh, imperfections and a lack of something, right? I don't want to lack something, right? I mean, just think about that, a defect. Yeah, but I mean, how many of you would rather be talking about what's right with us, than what's wrong with us, right? But if we're honest with ourselves, right, when we, and we, you know, we see this, we see this choice today, if we're honest with ourselves, we know, right, deep within that there are these hurts, these hangups, and these habits, these character defects that just keep on coming up over and over again. So where do they come from? Right? Where do these hurts, hangups, and habits come from? Well, on the one hand, there are certain things that we've inherited from our parents, right? Like that gene to care too much, <laughs> right? Or, or what about the height gene, right? Uh, I was doing a health checkup a few months ago, and uh, they had to do your you know, weight and height and did all this stuff, and the nurse was like, oh, you're six feet. And I was like, what? I'm six feet? I've always wanted to be six feet my entire life. I was like, I thought I was 5'11". No, literally, since I was like a teenager, I always, I don't know what it is about six feet. I was like, I just wanted to be six feet. But I was 5'11", right, 5'11". Uh, and she was like, no, you're six feet. And I was like, I, I took my shoes off. She pushed my, I mean, I put my hair up because I want to be taller, right? And it's like, you know, she pushed my hair down. And she's like, no, you're six feet. And I'm like, I could grow in my 30s? Like, this is amazing. <laughs> okay, now I share that because, I mean, my parents were, you know, they're, they're pretty tall in, in some respect. But my wife, she's five, one and a half. And she says, this is from her words, when you're that height, every half inch counts. All right, so five, one and a half. Now, believe it or not, if we were standing right next to each other. We, we, you would actually notice something very odd about me, not about her, about me we have the same length of legs. I have 11 inches of, of torso on her. It's like, 
you have like a freakishly oddly proportioned body, <laughs> right? But actually, I would make a really good gymnast, believe it or not. Because gymnasts, if you ever notice, I know it's the Winter Olympics, but gymnasts have like long torsos. Uh, the other beautiful thing is... I mean, I'm like laughing at all you tall guys because on the airplane, I have a lot of leg room. <laughs> I look tall, but I have a lot of leg room. Um, anyways, that really doesn't have anything to do with the message today. Uh, but, you know, I share it because there are things we inherit from our parents, right? I mean, Christina's mom is like five feet. Her grandma is four feet, nine inches, something like that. Um, and, and, you know, we inherit things from our parents, right? We inherit things from our parents. Sometimes, here's the thing, we, we try to blame our parents, right? We try to blame them for the problems that we have, right? We try to blame our parents, uh, you know, because of our hurts, our hangups, and our habits. And while we might have inherited some predispositions from our parents, uh, just because they did it or, or we inherited it from them doesn't give us an excuse to still do it, right? So we may have inherited it from them, but we are still responsible for our own behavior. Well, here's the second place that our hurts, our hangups, and our habits come from. They come from the circumstances of our lives, right? So the way you were raised, the way you behave, the way you react in situations, like when my girls are yelling at each other, I, I'm like, what are you doing? You know, why are you yelling at each other? Don't do that. And I'm like, wait, I'm yelling at them. You know, it's like, wait, wait. they're yelling at each other probably because they saw me yell at them. Uh, and I'm like, how, how much of our hurts and our hangups and our habits are a result of what we've observed, right? Of what we've experienced. And we're just replicating that, that it's learned behavior. So what happens when we learn behavior, we actually Try to try to cope with our hurts, our hangups, and our habits. We have these thing called things called coping mechanisms, right? I have three older sisters, six years old, five years old, three years older than me, and when they were teenagers, I learned how to spend time by myself, right? Like I was the moment they yelled and fought with each other, which was a lot. I mean, just think three teenage girls very close in age, I shut the door and I played video games. Like I just, I was like, see you later. Like anytime, any conflict, anything, I, I literally, whatever I was doing, I like went up, went in my room and shut my door. I was like, if I'm not at the crossfire, I can't get hurt, right? Like I just, and here's the issue, right? When I get into a conflict, I do the same thing right? I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with conflict. I just want to avoid it at all costs. Now, I've, that, that's my coping mechanism, right? My blood pressure goes up when someone's angry or something happens. And, and, you know, especially on customer service calls, right? It's like, I don't, okay, whatever. Just, you know, I don't want to deal with conflict. I don't want to just give me whatever. I know I'm probably not getting a good deal, but I just don't like conflict. No, what, it, what, what, have, I had to, what have I had to learn over the years? Well, I've had to learn how to you know, the scriptures say, hey, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. So Christina and I have had a lot of long nights where I've been silent because I didn't want to talk about it, but we had to talk about it and we had to deal with it. Now, here's a truth bomb from the book, Life Sealing Choices. All right, I'm going to read it slowly because this, this is amazing. Many of your current character defects are actually self-defeating attempts to satisfy your unmet needs. Now, He's going to give a few situations here. You have a legitimate need for respect, right? If you didn't get respect early in life or don't feel you have it now, 
with this legitimate need for respect, you settle for attention instead. You figured out how to get attention in various ways, some positive, some negative. And, and you also, not res- maybe respect, but you also might have a legitimate need for love. Now, if you didn't get the love you needed as a child, and perhaps you still feel unloved, you may have learned to settle for superficial relationships or one-night stands. You also, on, on another hand, you know, respect, love, you also have a need for security, but if you grew up in an insecure environment or are in one now, you may actually be seeking that security through the accumulation of possessions. Right? Our possession, our circumstances, our past, and our present all help us understand the character defects that haunt us today. Right? So we have our, what we've inherited. We have the choices. You know, we have um, the circumstances of our lives. And the third place that our hurts, our hang-ups, and our habits come from are really a result of the choices that we make. Right? It's, it's a result of things that we have chosen to do. And this can be both good and bad. Right? It's bad because it means we can't blame our circumstances and our, our parents for everything. Because right? we have responsibility for our own choices. But it's also good because with God's power, and this is what we're going to talk about today, we can actually make a choice to experience freedom. So what are we going to do with all our hurts, our hang-ups, and our habits? What can we do with all our hurts, hang-ups, and habits? How can we actually make the changes necessary to undergo and experience this transformation choice? Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Romans chapter 12. Or if you have your app, open up to Romans chapter 12 as well. And while you're turning to Romans 12, I just want to share how grateful I am for God's word. Right? I, how grateful I am for the fact that we have the transforming nature and power of his word. And how, how, uh, the, the fact that God, I'm so grateful for the way that God speaks to us through his word, in every circumstance, moment, and need of our life. So let's look at Romans 12 uh, to just see what Romans 12, the first couple of verses say about this transformation choice. All right, Romans 12, starting from verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I love these two verses. In fact, if we had more time, we could probably walk word by word through these two verses to unpack and examine how this relates to the transformation choice that we're talking about today. But because we don't have the luxury of time, uh, we, we, we're, we're actually going to look at these two verses through this lens. Okay, we're going to ask two questions. What is this verse saying and what is this verse not saying? Okay, so a simple lens Because sometimes this verse, some of you might have memorized, it's such a powerful verse that we might have looked at over and over and over again. But let's let's try looking at this verse through a lens of what is this saying and what is it not saying. Okay, so this, let's start with what it's not saying. This verse is not telling you to transform yourself. 
Okay, transformation, take a look at it, right? And that's why I asked you to open it up here. Take a look at the app or to, you know, to the word. It, there's transformational language through this, right? But the verse is not actually telling you to transform yourself. What it's telling you to do is to worship. Right? Here's another thing. This verse isn't even saying that you can transform yourself. Right? It's not saying you can transform yourself, just don't do it, go worship. No, it's not even saying that. It's saying you, even if you wanted to transform yourself, you can't transform yourself. It's saying that transformation happens when you present yourself wholly and completely to God. And when you do this, he is the one that will transform you by renewing your mind. This verse is not saying that the key to transformation is hard work and effort, right? That's what our world tries to say. That's what religion says. Religion says you can get yourself out of your hurts, your hangups and habits if you just try harder, if you meditate more, if you go and do this, if you do that, then you will fully pick yourself up out by your bootstraps and experience freedom. That's what religion says. And God says that you can't, no matter how much you try, you can't do it yourself. Transformation is not a result of your work and effort. It's a result of God's work and his effort that he's doing for us, that he's done for us through the work of the cross. This verse is saying that the key to transformation is placing ourselves at God's feet so he can do the work in and through our lives. And lastly, this verse is not saying, now get this, this verse is not saying that the ultimate purpose of transformation is for your good. This verse is not saying, let me say that again, the ultimate point of this entire series is not so that you can experience a better life. This entire point of the series and the change that we are talking about today is not ultimately for your better life, for your best life, for your good life, for you and your benefit. This verse and the entire point of transformation is so that you can discern God's will, so that you can discern his ways, so that you can live a holy life that's pleasing unto him, and so that he can work in you and through you for the benefit of others. This, I love this quote. Uh, it's about the spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts are not so much, the point of the spiritual gifts are not so much as having a gift. It's, it's more about being a gift to others. Right? And so often we'll read a verse like this and we'll like, okay, well, I want to experience transformation. I want to experience freedom from my hurts and my hangups and habits so that I can experience a better life, so that, I can, so that I can do this, so that I can do that, so that I can. And the whole point of the gospel, I mean, this was the sin of the Israelites, right? The Israelites believed that they were the chosen ones for their good. But what God was doing is he wanted to bless the Israelites so that he could bless the nations through them. But the cardinal sin of the Israelites is that they kept it to themselves. And the cardinal sin of Christians, well-meaning Christians, is that we think this is all about us and our good and our benefit. But actually God wants to transform us 
so that he can transform others through us. And when we have that perspective, God actually does a greater work in us than we could ever experience if we were wholly focused on ourselves. So back to our earlier question, what are we going to do with our defects, right? What are we going to do with our hurts, our hangups, and our habits? Well, according to these verses, right, it's less about what we're going to do, and it's actually more about what God is going to do in us when we actively submit and place ourselves before him in worship. So did you, did you catch that? What I'm not saying is that it's... I'm not saying that it's an either or. I'm actually saying that it's a both and. Transformation is not 100% about our will and decisions. And it's also not 100% about God doing the work in us. It's actually about us placing ourselves before him with the right posture before him in worship so that he can do the transformation in us. That is what these two verses are talking about. And, and, and let's, let's look at Matthew 5 six here. And, and Matthew 5, 6 is the verse through the, all the choices that we're walking through today or through this entire series. We're walking through the Beatitudes, right? We're walking through blessed are the, and we walk through, you know, the poor in spirit, the humble. You know, we walk through each of these as they relate to the choices. And today we're looking at this one, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Now let's keep this up here because what we just talked about, right? Romans 12, 1 to 2, Right, what we just talked about, this idea of I'm going to place myself before God in worship. I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to place my life before him, realizing, realizing that the choice I can make is to place myself before him. And the choice that God will make is to transform me. Right, That's the choice. But that life is actually the result of this. These two verses are connected so Deeply, And let me explain it in this way, the whole idea of hungering and thirsting, right? I mean, if you're allergic to something that you've, made, that you've eaten and, and that just every time you think about it or, or last time you had the flu, you threw up asparagus or you threw up whatever. And you know what I'm talking about? Like, do you know we have these foods that we just have this disgust because we threw them up or because you're allergic to it? And it's just like, I can no, even if like Gordon Ramsay cooked it, like I still won't touch it. Right? It's because it's just you have this visceral, like your, your stomach churns when you think about that. Right? You can't cause yourself, no matter how much you try, you can't cause yourself to hunger and thirst for that. Right? You can't do that. If it's against your being, you, you, like if, you, if, if you've had that negative experience, I mean, you can't viscerally cause yourself to say, you can't say, Daniel, hunger for that. Daniel, thirst for that. Daniel, desire that. No, because you hate it from the innermost of your beings, right? And I share that because you can't actually fake religiosity and service, or you can fake religiosity and service level righteousness, but you can't fake true hunger and true thirst for something that you, that you don't actually really want. Does that make sense there? And this is what this verse is getting at. True righteousness is only the result of a genuine hunger and thirst for it. But the thing is, you don't know what you don't know. Right? I, I mean, before I moved to Tennessee three years ago, I thought barbecue was this. Grilling, you know, I've learned that I'm not allowed, like I've been scolded, right? That I'm not allowed to call burgers and hot dogs. I'm not allowed to say that that's barbecue. 
you know, that's supposed to be grilling and it's not barbecue. Now, now here's the thing. I mean, I didn't know anything about smoked meats or, or anything like that. And this is what I would do to my ribs. I would boil my ribs and I would then grill them after they're fully cooked to get some flavor on them. That is what, I know you're laughing at me. You're like, this is like, you just ruined really good meat. And I'm like, I didn't know what I didn't know. And then I ate smoked ribs here. Actually, Justin's family and, and my family, we're going to go to Martin's barbecue after this so our families can get to know each other because I want to eat smoked meat. <laughs> because my eyes have been opened, right? Like I have experienced the goodness of the Lord uh, through, through smoked meat. And it's, it's, it's funny, right? But I didn't know what I didn't know. I, I really didn't know that barbecue, that meat could taste so good. Honestly, now, here's the thing. When you, like this verse here, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, think about the last time you, you fasted. Or think about the last time you didn't eat anything for six hours, nine hours, 12 hours. And you were like, you were, you were like saving your stomach space for dinner. Or my wife and I went on an early Valentine's dinner yesterday and we didn't really eat. All we ate was brunch and we didn't eat anything else. And they said, you know, come hungry. It was kind of like this, um, it was like a cooking school thing that we did together. So they're like, you're going to eat like halibut ceviche and, you know, hanger steak with chimichurri. I was like, this is all, it's like, you know, you watch MasterChef and you don't get to eat it. Well, it's like you could actually watch them and actually eat it. So I was like super excited. So I didn't eat. Anyways, we cooked pizza for our kids. I mean, they're good with pizza, right? I mean, it's, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> we cooked pizza, and oh, man, pizza didn't smell so, like, I don't know the last time pizza smelled so good. It was like Aldi pizza, and Aldi pizza is pretty good, right? But it's like I was going to have steak and, like, ceviche, and I was going to have mousse, and I was going to have all the stuff, but I, all I wanted to do was eat pizza because I, like, I was hungering. I was thirsting for it. Now think about that feeling, right? Think about that feeling of excitement, that feeling of, oh, I haven't eaten anything for 12 hours or I haven't eaten anything for a couple days or a few hours and you're just ready to dig in and to eat. You know that longing, like that minute before you're about to eat? Like, and the first, like you just, you just can't help, like it's just that, that feeling right there, that is what Jesus is talking about. If we can get the verse back on the screen, please. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That verse right here, he's saying that those who are blessed are those who have this kind of hungering and this kind of thirsting for righteousness. And when you have that kind of hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? It's like you smoked a Boston butt all night, all day, and finally it's dinner, Right? And it's like, I'm going to have the best dinner ever. And it's like, you've been smelling it, and finally you get to dinner. Like that hungering and thirsting. I mean, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst like that, but for righteousness. And when you hunger and thirst like that, but for righteousness, that is when you will experience freedom from your hurts, your hangups, and your habits. Now the question is, have you ever hungered and thirsted for God like you might have hungered and thirsted for food? Have you ever felt that way 
about coming to worship with our you know, brothers and sisters here as a family here. On, have you ever felt that way when you woke up and you're like, I can't wait to worship together? Or before work, when you open up the scripture, you're like, I can't wait to read God's word. I can't wait to come before. Or have you ever felt this emptiness where you're like, I can't, I can't focus or I can't think straight unless I spend time with the Lord? Like, have you ever felt, you know, when you're hungry, you know how sometimes you feel lightheaded? Have you ever felt that lightheadedness if you didn't spend time with God? That is what the scripture is saying. He's saying if you can experience that kind of hunger and thirst for God, that is when you will experience filling as God truly wants you to be filled. That is when you will experience freedom from your hurts, your hangups, and your habits like God truly wants us to be to experience. Right? Every sin that we commit, every time, like that quote that I read earlier, every time we try to satisfy our longing for love with something that's temporary or our longing for significance with something that's temporary, every time we fill, try to fill this emptiness in our hearts with something other than God, it's like God has prepared a steak, a, you know, a smoked rib dinner, whatever. If you're a vegetarian, I know this like, sermon is probably the worst sermon ever. Uh, it's like, why does he keep on talking about meat? It's because I love meat. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's like God is preparing this for you, right? God is preparing this for you. And he's like spent so much time preparing this masterful feast for you. And you dropped by Sonic and grabbed a hot dog and tots and, a, and like a slushy before you went to his house. That is what we do in our life. We are sad. And yes, you eat the hot, you eat the hot dog and the slushy. There's a reason Sonic's in business, right? It's fast, right? It's like you eat it. You're not hungry anymore. But what happens when you sit down at that feast and the, and the food is so good? What happens when you eat that food? Does it taste good? No, because you're full. Like you're like, oh, I already have saltiness in my mouth. Like, I don't really want, you know, it's just, it doesn't taste good. And what do we do when, we, when, he, when we've done that and then we come before God and we taste this? We're like, well, God doesn't really satisfy. He's not, it's not really that good, right? I'm good with Sonic. That's what we do in our spiritual lives. And that's why it's so hard for us to experience freedom from our hurts, our hangups, and our habits. Because we, we settle with temporary satisfaction when God wants to fully free us. So how is the question, right? How do we truly get to the place where we can hunger and thirst for righteousness. How do we get there? In other words, here's another question. What is righteousness? Right? It's, it's one of those words that's like, when do you ever use the word righteousness outside of a context of church, right? Or outside the context of Christianity? I mean, when do you talk about righteousness? Like you don't. You sing songs about right? VBS songs, like kids songs. Like, you know, just, I can think about all these kids songs I have about righteousness, but when do you ever, like, what does that word even mean? 
Sometimes we think righteousness is like getting a halo around your head or, you know, uh, just being holy and wearing a white robe. You know, it's just like we think righteousness is like this other earthly, otherworldly thing. But let me give you a really, really simple definition and explanation for what righteousness is. And this will help us know what it means to hunger and thirst for it. Okay, here it is. Righteousness equals right relatedness. That's all it means. Righteousness equals having right relationships with your parents. Righteousness equals having right relationships with your spouse. Righteousness equals having right relationships with your kids, with your enemies, with your boss, with your coworkers. Righteousness is about having a right relationship with God. So do you have right relationships with others? Do you long for right relationships with others? Do you long to be reconciled to God? Do you long for others in your family, in your sphere to be reconciled to God? When we are singing that song, All the Poor and Powerless, right? When you're saying all that, I mean, all the poor and powerless, and you know, you're singing out that song. We, I was singing at the Mount Juliet campus before I came here, and it was just like, I couldn't sing the song anymore because all I could do was begin praying for everyone in my life who didn't know God. Because, you know, the, the bridge goes, shout it, you know, come on and tell it to the mountains that Jesus, you know, I was like, how, it's one thing to worship God, but it's another to intercede on his, you know, on behalf of others, on behalf, and I was praying for you. I was praying for Donaldson, Mount Juliet, Nashville. I was praying for my neighbors, my family, because I'm like, I want others, I want this world to experience reconciliation with God. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is about hungering and thirsting for you personally to have right relationships with others, but for others to also have right relationships with God. And when you hunger and thirst for that, that is when you will experience freedom from your hurts, your hangups, and your habits. Why? Because remember, change is not completely us and it's not completely God. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that is us placing ourselves in God's hands. It's us having his heart for this world. It's us worshiping him and it's in that posture that God will then change us. But why is this so hard? Ephesians 6 says this, right? You know, it says that we're, you know, it's important that we realize we're not in a battle against flesh and blood, but that we, friends, are against, in, in a battle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the darkness, against evil spiritual forces, and against spiritual forces in the heaven. In other words, Satan doesn't want us to believe change is possible and Satan wants to prevent us from experiencing hurts, habits, freedom from our hurts, hangups, and habits at all costs. So this is why he does this. Do you ever feel like when you <clears throat> get trapped up in a hurt, a hangup, or a habit, do you ever feel like it's always your fault? Right? Do you ever feel like it's like, why did I do this again? And you're so hard on yourself. And there are others of you who always blame someone else. And it's like, it's, if, if you're always blaming someone else, it's actually you. Uh, that's, that's, you know, wake up call. I'm sorry, but it's, it's true. It's like, and, and this is what happens when we, when we, 
when we fall into these hurts, these hangups, and, that, and these habits, Satan tries to, you know, make us feel bad about ourselves or bad about someone else. He tries to deflect all the attention off of himself. And he says, it's not me, it's you. It's not me, it's God. It's not me, it's... But if we look at Romans 8.1... We read that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Friends, we talked about where hurts, hangups, and habits come from. Jesus doesn't care where they came from. All he cares about is setting you free. And he wants to set you free today. Instead of condemning you, he wants to free you because condemnation is not from Christ. The enemy wants to condemn you, but Jesus allows that so he can redeem it and reconcile you to himself. As we see in John eight forty four, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. But in John eight thirty one to 32, we read this. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus wants to set you free today. So will you place yourself before him? Will you place your body and your life before him? Now, before we end, <clears throat> we talked about change being something we can do and something God does, right? So one of the ways that we can place ourselves before God, one of the ways that we can hunger and thirst for righteousness is by actually soaking ourselves in God's word and memorizing his word, right? In Psalm 119, we read, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. We read the importance all throughout scripture about scripture memorization. So if you have a pen uh, or pull out your phone and I want you to write these verses down. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.17 first. And I want you to write these verses down because the way that we can place ourselves before God is by one of the ways that we can do that is by memorizing his word. It's because when we memorize his word, we, that is us placing ourselves in his hands. So 2 Corinthians 5.17, memorize this one. And you, this, is, this is a really cool thing. If you read Ephesians 6, it talks about putting on the spiritual armor of God. And, and it talks about the sword of the spirit being the word of God. And when you are in temptation and when you are tempted to go to Sonic instead of waiting for the feast, you can pull out the sword of the spirit and that is the word of God. You can pull out, God will actually bring to mind verses that you have memorized to allow you to stop and, and to step up against sin and allow God to have the victory in your life. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 is one. Psalm 9.10 is another one, if you could write that down. Psalm 9.10, right? Hide these things in your heart. Proverbs 3.5-6 is another one. Right, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Proverbs 16, 3 is another verse. Right, I love this. Anytime you're discerning God's will or trying to decide whether you should go here, I mean, this is a great verse. You just, you know, it reminds you priorities. Proverbs 16, 3. Matthew eleven twenty eight. one of my favorite verses. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 to 7. 
right? Philippians 4, 6 to 7 is about not, you know, don't worry about everything, anything, but, you know, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 to 7. The last one is Hebrews 11, and 6, 11 verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6. So if you don't have these verses memorized, you know, start. You know, save them on your home screen. So every time you open up your phone, you see the verse. Meditate on them. Hide them in your heart. Because that is a step that we can take for God to develop the hung- a hunger and a thirst for him in our hearts. All right?